Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Today is such a good day. It's so Friday. It's such a Friday day. I even fixed the clock in my office so I have the correct time, I think. Now, I think. We're pretty close anyway. Closer than we have been when I realized that my clock had gone haywire and we were going to commercials at the wrong times <laughs> and going, going to news breaks before we had the news ready. That's been fixed. The hazards of working from home. But not working from home is my guest today. Today on the show, I will be playing the role of Buzz because in the studio is Woody. Dave Very nice. Woodard, the Very voice nice. of CHML News. Joining me this evening, you know, we, you were here once before and you were magnificent. And I said, someday down the road, we're going to convince you to hang around on a Friday and do this again. I appreciate that because the last time I was here was the day before I tested positive for COVID in January or February. <laughs> so I don't know how great I sounded at that time, but I'm, I, I'm rest assured I am not sick now. So we're good. Well, you know, one of the things about the studio is that we try to contain all the germs in there. So <laughs> yes. anyone who steps in there, uh, one of the things, true story, not so much with germs, but over the years, one of the things that um, I've done on an annual basis until the thing ended was there used to be a thing in, Ham in uh, Hamilton called Novemberger, which was a charity right. for restaurants to make fancy hamburgers. And we would every year get a bunch of them to bring their unbelievable offerings in and we would sample them on the air and bring in some guest samplers with us. Well, the person who hated me more than anyone was Bill Kelly, because he would come in the next morning, and that studio holds every scent, mm -hmm. every mm -hmm. bouquet. He would walk in, and it smelled like a burger palace, and yet there was no burger for him. So unfortunate. Why, so why didn't holds... he do it, though? Why didn't he well, he talk to whatever restaurants you didn't get a hold of? Because I would have kneecapped him if he took mm. my my shtick. I that see was how it that Novemberger was <laughs> was an evening. If Bill had stolen my Novemberger, oh my goodness! <laughs> um, but yeah, but if it holds the smells, you know it holds the illnesses. So uh, anyway, we're glad you're here. Hey, uh, you know what I saw the other day? Are you are you a are you a movie buff, Dave? Uh, buff? I don't I don't know. I enjoy movies. I have I I like going to see them. Have you ever seen, now this goes, this is, there's a Hamilton connection here. Have you okay. ever seen the movie Youngblood? I don't know. I don't think so. Rob Lowe and Patrick Swayze. I've heard and, of it. Yeah. But I don't so think it's a I've hockey ever seen movie. it. It's a hockey movie. Uh, one of the, one of the, um, probably one of the worst hockey movies ever made, at least as far as the hockey itself. Rob Lowe Be in a bad movie? Yeah, I know. Shockingly, uh, although I, I believe the, the the ladies didn't mind because at one part of he course. exposed his bare buttocks for the audience. So, um, so there was that. But um, yeah, but he couldn't skate, and neither could Patrick Swayze. <laughs> so they had like they would shoot everything from the waist up. I guess they stood on dollies or something as they dragged them around the ice and pretended to be skating, which was hysterical. Um, you know, it, Young Blood is a movie that has a decidedly split audience. There are the lovers of Young Blood, who it's one of the greatest things ever, and there are those like me who look at it and go, eh, "Not really." Yeah. Anyway, I bring it up because they, well, it was the Mustang Hamilton Mustangs were the one team, and that was it was based on you know those a Hamilton team. That's why we love it around here. Some people they are remaking Young Blood. Oh, with who? This is um, so. It, it's not clear yet who, if I don't think they've announced who is going to be 
in this. Hopefully someone who can skate. That would be a that would be a terrific start. That'd be a good start. Well, it's not great. You know, uh, here's the thing. Paul Newman, when he made Slapshot, the story goes, couldn't skate before. And he learned in time to make that movie and became very passable. If you've ever seen Slapshot, he was pretty good. He was very good, in fact. Yeah. Uh, this one. Uh, these guys apparently just like showed up and said, what do you mean you have to learn how to skate? I can skate. Who can't skate? And then they couldn't skate. I don't know who's going to do it, but this to me, Dave, seems like what kind of movies should be remade. We've heard that they're going to remake yeah, Wizard of Oz. Sure. Don't know you need to remake Wizard of Oz. It's been pretty well done. Yep. Yep. I think It's that's, these ones. Yeah. It's these ones you remake. The bad ones, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Unless, Give it another un- shot. Unless they're so bad that they're good. Right? Like, nobody needs to make another Roadhouse. Roadhouse Mm. is perfectly horrible as it is. (laughs) Are we going to go through the whole Rob Lowe, Patrick Swayze canon? (laughs) I don't think Rob Lowe was in that one, but he should have been. No, but he should have been. He should have definitely been in that one. The only good thing about Roadhouse was, what's the guy's name who does the voice of all, like, the Chevy truck commercials? Oh, yeah. With the gray hair. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott cannot be bad in anything he does no. just because of the no. voice the oh and you know who else was in that movie mm. i remember now was um uh was it frank gage or roy De so johnny gage? from mm. emergency squad 51 was in that one. Oh, you i have no idea what you're talking yeah about. yeah one of the one of the guys from emergency was in okay roadhouse see now we're diving down into the meat and potatoes <laughs> of this thing but uh yeah I, I i don't know where you put that one in the uh in the patrick swayze rob low pecking order of don't ever need to see that one again, but it's it's got to be near there, near the I top mean, of that It's on list. TV every other weekend, so I'm sure everyone's seen it many times by now. Yeah, you're flipping channels, and it's either Shawshank Redemption or Happy Gilmore or that every weekend. That's right, or or some Star Wars movie. <laughs> uh, maybe. I flip by those so fast that I don't even really realize that they're on, but are you a Star Wars guy? Yeah, I was just gonna try to defend it and say not really, but no, I am. I'm not. I'm not like super Star Wars geek going to Comic Con uh, or Fan Com or whatever that is, and dressing up in costume. Yeah. But yeah. I will. I will watch everything. And and uh, when they were coming out uh, with the new movies, the ones that were last out, uh, my son and I would catch them every year because they came out uh, during the uh, holidays. So we just, uh, we made uh, a date every year. Um, when they came out with a new movie, we'd go and see it. Well, for, for those people who listen religiously and are on here every night, forgive me, because I probably have told this story before. I think I have. But many years ago, probably 15 years ago, I guess, uh, working at The Spectator on nights, maybe 20 years ago now, our boss at the end of a shift at like midnight said, you know what, everybody, we're wrapping up, paper's out, we're taking, I'm taking all of you to the new release of Star Wars. It was opening night, and he took us up to Silver City in Ancaster, and we got into the very first showing, which was fine, except that the theater was very full, so there were only sporadic seats, so none of us really sat together, and I ended up in the very back row next to a stormtrooper who stunk of B.O., who probably had worn this stormtrooper suit to every Star Wars thing and never cleaned it. And all I could think was, is this, is this really what the stormtrooper smelled like? Is this an authentic outer space stormtrooper experience? Cause that would explain a lot. I mean, probably did you see, did you ever see a stormtrooper not in a uniform? Oh, have you ever seen a stormtrooper shower? No, I rest my case. Right. <laughs> so it's probably never very take- accurate. 
yeah, they never can take those uniforms off. So it, it probably is. It probably is. But that's kind of turned me off the whole Star Wars thing. Dave, I, I, I'm I'm a little hesitant to start into this next conversation because I'm not sure we can make it the brightest conversation because mm-hmm. what we're working with is so inane that I'm. it's going to take some work to get this back on track. But I'm sure you heard this yesterday. You may have reported on it on the news. York Region School Board to- sent out a tip sheet telling its teachers and its schools don't discuss the queen's death don't do don't live stream the funeral don't play god save the queen don't do any of these things for two reasons one because of the horrible colonial his- history of the monarchy and two because students might be triggered by trauma that they've suffered from losing someone themselves what am I missing here? This is this seems like it's the height of absolute idiocy. Yeah, you know, I think it's 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 got to be nuanced, right? Like I think when you have something that comes down from either the province or a school board, it's almost like a a blunt hammer oftentimes, right? It's not the answer for every situation, but it's the answer for the 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 vast majority of situations. And so uh, I think that there there needs to be room for nuance. Of course, you're going to have students that are triggered by either, you know, deaths of loved ones that have happened in the last, you know, couple of months or weeks or even days, um, you know, going through that again. But I mean, that's got to be done by a cl- on a class by class basis. I think York was looking at this and, and, and using that sledgehammer and saying, okay, well, if there's going to be some issues, then we're just not going to do it for anybody. Um, and, and I can understand that perspective, but the fact that they're not looking at it at all, I think is, is, is short-sighted. Now they've pulled back and they've said, okay, we will do this because the province said, no, you will. Yeah. But isn't part, uh, a big part, almost all of the point of school to teach kids things, to take modern events, current events. Mm-hmm. We, we, we used to have a current events curriculum whether you yeah. call it civics or whatever and learn from it as opposed to hiding it yet yeah, you may have you may have lost a grandmother mm-hmm. okay uh how do we deal with that how do we deal with loss i don't know that the queen's death is going to trigger anyone to be perfectly honest but th- this seems like the opportunity to teach about something rather than hiding from it well and that's the thing i think to some degree it can be a little it's a great opportunity to learn it's a great opportunity to learn about uh, the queen, the monarchy, all of those things. My only, uh, I guess, playing devil's advocate, I think that, you know, what kind of impact does the monarchy have on, you know, regular students nowadays, right? Like, I mean, yes, we we, we live and we work in a constitutional monarchy and everybody uh, who's over the age of, you know, 25, hopefully, understands that. But I think... You know, when you're talking about kids, it's almost like, well, all right, we're already behind because of the last couple of years with the pandemic. We need to be teaching things like science, tech, you know, math, those kinds of things. And you want us to spend an entire day on something that doesn't matter? I think like that's 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 I think 
to a degree, I think that can be the argument. That's not the argument that York is putting forward. And I think it's, it's more than anything else. It's just saying, you know, if you're not giving us a day off, if you're not doing anything to, um, you know, really kind of put this in, in a different light, then why do we need to be teaching it? Why do we need to be putting that forward? But if the idea here is that, okay, so we've got the part about triggering a kid, which I find mm-hmm. ludicrous. I find that absolutely ludicrous because something else, even if you haven't had a parent, a grandparent, a loved one die, this is a wonderful opportunity. If that's what we're going to point to, if death is the story here, that here's an opportunity to talk about what do we do when someone dies? How do we deal with this? Sure. And, and as I said to someone the other day, presumably most kids in elementary school who are getting sex education have not had sex yet, but we're preparing them for when that day comes. This is an opportunity like that. That's the first thing. But the second one, if we're saying, well, this, we don't want to express this because of the colonial side of this, you don't hide from that. You talk about that. You discuss, here are the good things, here are the bad things. Hiding it serves nobody. And if you're in school, you should be talking about these things. They are part of our history. Yeah. And and maybe that's, you know, I I agree. I think that's really where you can make that kind of part of the education, right? If you have a problem with the monarchy, if you have a problem with, you know, That's that's fine. You can talk about that in the, in the education setting. Here's where I kind of understand where there is an issue with that, which is there is, uh, you know, intergenerational trauma with some students, right, that they've been dealing with this uh, for a very long time. Is that something that we need to be addressing? Absolutely. You do, does it need to be, um, you know, talked about even maybe? And, and those are the kinds of things I think that you can um, use this opportunity for. Um, but I also understand where it could be uh, difficult for some. Now, again, like I said, what I would probably do is I would use the opportunity to talk about some of the issues with colonialism and some of the issues with uh, the monarchy over the over the generations. Um, you know, did Queen Elizabeth do enough? Did uh, is the monarchy something that can go forward? There's a, a a myriad of ways that you can talk about it. Now, is it talking about the queen and and her um, and what great she's done? That's the other thing too. Is that's uh, another one. That's so, another so, thing. So again, when we say we don't want to do this, or when mm-hmm. the school board says we don't want to, because it's there's colonial things, whatever else. Okay, um, but that's assuming that everybody is on that side of it. There are those who want to celebrate the queen, who think that the queen was remarkable. Sure. sure. So why do we always have to take the lowest common denominator or the worst common denominator rather than saying, hey, here's an opportunity to talk about a woman who for seventy years showed discipline, stuck to what she had to do, showed resolve, she fulfilled her obligations, all those things that we want people to do in life. Again, we're throwing out all the positive potential here and only assuming that there must only be negative and therefore we can't do anything with this. Yeah, that's, that's a huge problem to me that so many things now, we refuse to look at the positive side of something and not everything has a positive side. I'm not pretending that, but many things do and we won't do it because somebody could be offended. Therefore, yeah. nothing that's good can we talk about it because somebody might be offended? And I think that's where like the blunt instrument comes in, Scott, right? Like I think that's where we look at it and say, you know, people have been bringing up things to uh, the higher ups with the York board. And instead of saying, okay, well, let's deal with this on a case by case basis. They just say, you know what? We'll just 
we'll just outlaw it completely and we won't have to deal with it. Because you know what? Somebody like me, I could have said, I'm offended that you're not talking about the queen. Does my offense count? Of course not. Shh. But but no, but <laughs> yeah, and no, again, no, we're no. being we're being facetious, but if we're really worried about anybody being offended, what about those who would be offended that you would ignore this? Well, and the thing is, is that there are opportunities if you, if say, uh, you know, if it was something that your family was very strong, um, you know, is very strong that they wanted you to take part in what was going on, then it'd say, you know what, stay home, watch the funeral, uh, you know, speak with your family, that kind of thing. We're going to go on and do our uh, English, math, tech, and science, um, you know, curriculum. You stay home. We won't count you absent for the day. You're good to go. Mm. Uh, I, again, I, I to me, giant fail for a historic moment. And I don't use the word historic a lot. A lot of it gets thrown out there a lot. I don't use it a lot. But after 70 years, it's a historic moment in our lifetime. In almost every Canadian's lifetime, this is the first change in a monarchy. It, it's an absolute fail that anyone from the school board even thought that this was something that should have been ignored rather than leaned into. And of all anyway. school boards, York. Uh, yeah, I never even thought about that. But, right, I mean, yeah. just... <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent point, which had never dawned on me, but you're bang on. All right, Dave. And now, for the people who are listening, I did not... Get, Dave doesn't know what topics we're coming up with today. Dave nope. is working on the fly here. So I'm going to catch you. This is a tough one. This is a really, really tough one. And this is one that I think people may talk about after the show with their friends or whatever else. Because I'll put it this way. We have, in our society, we often will point to people who have done something or are in a tough situation and say, there is something that happened to them that makes this not really their fault. You agree with that? Yeah. There are outlying things yeah. in some cases where we say, you really can't be held responsible for that because whether it's poverty or whether it's this or that, there are people who at times we look at and we say, you did not create your own, you didn't make your own bed. You're just having to deal with it. Right. There are circumstances. Absolutely. Okay. I mentioned that because in the States right now, there is a uh, hearing going on right now, a punishment hearing for a guy named Nicholas Cruz. The name may be familiar to some people. He was a guy who in Florida back in 2018 shot up Parkland's Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, killed 14 students and three staff members. All right. He, it was one of the worst situations. 17 people dead in this shooting. Horrendous act of terror that he foisted on the people of Florida and that school. However, here's why I bring this up. In his hearing, one of the United States' leading fetal alcohol researchers has testified that his birth mother, who was a prostitute in Fort Lauderdale, drank excessively to a point that this researcher had never seen before through her pregnancy. Fortified wine and malt liquor drank constantly through the pregnancy. And this person now says that Nicholas Cruz, clearly as a result of this, is the victim of fetal alcohol syndrome, which could have and did affect his behavior to make him erratic and unable to necessarily control himself. Where's the line then that we decide, yes, something happened to you that was not your fault that caused problems for you, but yes, you are also responsible. How do we find that line? That's interesting. I, I think, you know, um, I, I was... Um, covering the Young Street van attack um, for right. 640 Toronto 
uh, a couple of years ago. And it was interesting because Alec Manassian, uh, his defense essentially put the entire thing on his autism. Um, right. I the, remember the, that. The of course. Fact, yes. Right. And it's and I think the answer is 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 there. Right. Which is did autism allow him to think in a certain way uh, that made him think it was OK? Um, you know, driving that van down Young Street and 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 hitting, you know, 18 people, killing, uh, you know, 10 of them. In his mind, the defense said he was OK, like with that. And I think that's kind of like this. This is this is some this is similar in the sense that um, it is considered to be through the you know DSM. I think it's five now uh, a mental illness, right? Like it's not it's not something that is um, something that's not treatable or to be not fixable. Of, right? Yeah, you can't right? fix what's been done. The damage that was done to you, right? According to so if if in fact. And, and again, I like I, I will. We're going right now as a hypothetical based mm-hmm. on what this researcher is saying. But if what she's saying is true, that he is a victim of fetal alcohol syndrome, where he is completely erratic and out of control, should anything that he then does, should he be held responsible for that, or is it just I'm sorry to the 14 students and three staff members, but this was a person who he's not really guilty because he couldn't possibly have controlled himself. Well, and that's the thing to to. I used to work as a child and youth worker before I was into radio. And what I learned was fetal alcohol syndrome um, is, or sorry, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is way more common than people think. And so we see it a lot of times. Now, does everybody go into a high school and shoot up a bunch of people? No, right? So then you have to look at, at what other factors are into that, even if it is the most egregious case of fetal alcohol of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder you've ever seen, it still does not equate going into a school and shooting people. So I think there are other factors that you have to look into. Again, I'm not uh, I'm I'm not a doctor and I'm not a lawyer, so I can't say either way. But I would think that would be the argument from uh, the 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 prosecutors in that case and saying sure. Absolutely. We will say that, yes, he had fetal alcohol syndrome uh, spectrum disorder. Uh, Yes, it was an egregious case. Does that make it so that he can't be held responsible? I doubt that. So let's then take this story away from this one, because this is truly one of the most horrendous cases you could possibly imagine. This This is the extreme of the extreme, which makes him a very unsympathetic character by any stretch of the imagination. Now, let's just say that it was someone who came up in court who had robbed someone or broken into a house or, I don't know, pick something that's a crime Mm. for sure, but something that people didn't die. What do you do with that then? I think- Do you say, well, you get a pass? Yeah, it depends on on the level of restraint, I think, right? Like, I mean, to me, if somebody, say, robs a bank but doesn't shoot a bunch of people, do you then say, okay, well, the reason why you robbed the bank was because of fetal, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? Maybe not, but is there, are there extenuating circumstances where you can lessen a uh, a sentence because of it, right? Like, I mean, that's that's maybe in there. 
you know, like because there is some kind of mental illness, right, that that's associated with that. So I think there there are and I'm probably using the words, the, the words incorrectly, but there are, I think, some circumstances where you can sit there and say, OK, you know what? What happened was bad, but did they do things to um, not make it worse? You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, I understand, I understand you, you, what you're trying to say is that, you know, well, if, if it's not okay that he killed, you know, 14 people, then it can't be okay if he stole, you know, $50,000 from a bank. And I think that there's a huge difference between those two. There, there clearly is. There absolutely is. And I think we would be, as a society, uh, I've not heard anybody who has expressed sympathy for this guy for Nicholas Cruz. I don't think anyone has said, Oh, poor guy. You know, he, he had this bad background. And so he really had no choice but to go and shoot it up. But I, I would bet you money, Dave, that if it was something like someone who robbed a gas station and you had the exact same expert saying the exact same thing, I absolutely believe that there would be an awful lot of people saying, well, he shouldn't get a serious penalty because clearly he had, massive problems facing him that he couldn't control. Sure, but I don't I think you're still going to get the same people, Scott, saying that uh this Nicholas Cruz shouldn't get the death penalty per se, right? Like I mean, just life in prison, not the death penalty because of the FASD, right? Like so there are going to be people who say the the penalty should be lessened because of X that they would say that for any case. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think so. Well, look, like, I, I this think, is. I think you're right. I think people are looking at Nicholas Cruz and saying, you know what, that was an awful thing that he did, and and we all think that you know they should throw the book at him. But when you look at you know different extenuating circumstances, people can say, okay, you know what, maybe it won't be the death penalty, but there's no excuse for killing 14 people, right? And saying, okay, well, you know what, you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison, right? And 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 you know, pick your. Um, Pick your your crime wherever you would put it on the pecking order, right? So here we have the extreme of the extreme. You, then you've got a you know someone robbing something or breaking in somewhere, and then you've got something like with victims, and it always becomes more challenging with the victim because you could can you have can you have two victims? Can the perpetrator also be the victim? What if it was a sexual assault? You can't possibly turn to the woman and say. Sorry, too bad. Uh, you know, the guy didn't know what he was doing, so y- what he did to you is doesn't count. You can't do that, and that wouldn't be right, obviously. But yeah, it, as soon as you throw in other victims, do we look at his situation differently? Then I don't think right it, because, yeah. because do we have sympathy for a do we have sympathy in some cases for what he's going through, but not in other cases with the exact same set of circumstances? I honestly think that we should have sympathy for anybody who is on either side because we we look at uh, the um, the situation. We'll we'll use the United States because that's what we're talking about here with Nicholas Cruz. Um, but you know, the United States something something ridiculous like 95% of the people who are incarcerated are dealing with some kind of mental health issue. And mm-hmm. that is something that needs to be fixed. And whether that means that we need to make 
rehabilitation more of a more of a, a thing, or we need to figure out somewhere before uh, you know between birth and, and shooting up a, a school with seventeen pe- and killing seventeen people, um, you know there needs to be some kind of intervention. Um, we need to figure that piece out, and and so there there needs to be sympathy when you're looking at any of these cases. Um, I think that that's that's how we get to a better community and better better society. I wish we had more time on this one. It's a good it's a it's a really interesting topic. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There have been uh, there's been a move among in some corners in recent years to get rid of cash. We're going to talk more about cash later next hour, but to get rid of cash, let's go fully digital. We can keep track of the money better. It's easier with debit and credit. We don't have to have all that dirty money and everything flying around. Well, Dave Woodard is with us today. Dave, here I think is the reason we need to keep cash. Okay. In Colorado, a woman died, and when the family went to check her bank balance to make sure that, you know, well, I guess it's what you do when someone dies. You go and mm-hmm. make sure that everything's looked after. They discovered that she was $99,999,999,999.22 in debt. Whoa. Like yeah. that, that, whoa. Yeah. Like almost uh, a trillion dollars in debt. Almost. Yeah. She, uh, she probably was the poorest person on earth. <laughs> I, I don't, so, there's not a word here. for that. That's not poor. There's, there's, there's not a word for that. It, it's, you know, slight banking error. We trust. I don't know that she could have spent <laughs> almost a hundred billion dollars into Hawk. I don't know that anybody would have given her that, but it, it does, you know, as much as it's ridiculous, and surely the bank is going to recognize this, you would think, and fix this all up. Mm. It does, though, make you make me anyway go, I don't know that we necessarily want to entirely get rid of the cash system. I think that's still a good thing to have around for those who, you know, because obviously things can go wrong. Yeah, but cash is going away, right? Like, I mean, it we're is. we're seeing like after the pandemic, nobody wanted to use cash, and now like you go to like a uh, a smaller store, you know, and they are like, oh, we don't take cash still, right? Like it's twenty twenty two, and it's like, okay, no problem, and you're like, fine. There are you know supermarkets now that are trialing, uh, you know, cashless. You know, um, basically, you don't even have to pay; you just walk out with whatever you got, and there's a little chip that automatically takes it off your account or whatever the case may be. So uh, I think cash is going by the wayside. I always like to have just a little bit of my wallet though, just in yeah, case. And, and that's the thing though. I think that I, I agree. Obviously I agree. I don't think anyone would dispute what you're saying, but I think the idea that, you know what? I still want to be able, if I, if I choose that I don't trust the digital currency system, I, you know, I, I still like the idea that I can have some cash. True. You know what? I, I think that there's, it's, it's also a generational thing. I think there, there were, you know, a lot of people who, and I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who like after a loved one passed away, they would go through, you know, books and stuff like that of their loved one and find, you know, $20 bills, hundred dollar mm-hmm. bills. And they were all keeping it because they didn't trust the banks. Just wait till crypto takes over you just raised yes you just raised <laughs> though the the biggest reason why we need to still keep cash and that is there is no greater well ben and i talked about yesterday on the air the one greatest feeling in the world is rolling over in the middle of the night discovering you've got three hours left to sleep yep that's one of the greatest feelings ever in the world the other one 
is pulling on a jacket that's been in the closet or a pair of pants and reaching into a pocket and finding a $20 bill you did not know you had. Y'all are rich. I've well, never okay, I've never put on a jacket and found any money ever. Transfers, receipts, absolutely. No reaching money. into the cushions of a sofa and finding <laughs> a bill or some coins, whatever. A bill. The, you can't you can't do that with a digit well, maybe no. you can find a debit card that you have <laughs> that yeah. you have yeah. used. Slightly different. There's something wonderful about finding those few dollars. You may have thousands of dollars in your bank account, but you find that five dollar bill in your pocket, it makes your day. Absolutely. Uh, Dave, let's start here. This is something that we were talking about yesterday on the show. We were chatting about the, um, the, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation has criticized, and we were talking about this, uh, the Ford government, not just the, not just the Liberals in Ottawa for spending like maniacs, but the Ford government in Ontario at Queen's Park for overspending, 8% higher spending this first quarter of the year of the financial year than last time. <laughs> The um, CIBC's chief economist, Avery Schenfeld, was quoted today. They were asking about spending, government spending, because now the government, the federal government and the provincial government are spending more to help people through inflation. And this chief economist pointed out that's a contradiction in terms. The cause, a big reason for the cause of our inflation was governments putting too much money into the economy. And now you're putting more money in saying somehow this is going to help with inflation. It's a contradiction in terms. Let me ask you this. Why do governments of all stripe, we've talked about both sides. Why do governments find it impossible to show financial restraint? It seems they cannot do it. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult. I think in any situation to try to rein in spending. If you have any kind of uh, social services, if you have any kind of uh, government you know, uh, run business or not business, but government run programs, they're going to cost money. And due to things like inflation, due to things like uh, cost of living increases, the amount that's spent on these programs, the amount that's spent on social assistance, as an example, needs to go up. Right. So it's it's one of those things that uh, if you are going to say that you're going to spend money on a program you have to be okay with spending more down the road. And I think it's difficult for governments to sit there and say, okay, we're not going to spend money on something without losing uh, a good portion of your electorate. And, unfor- well, I guess, uh, fortunately for us, we get to vote in who we want as uh, leaders every you know four or five years. Um, and that's something that is very difficult for politicians to deal with when they have to look at trying to, to rein in spending. Yes, but unfortunately for us, and this is what we talked about yesterday, there is no option. And, and I mean, you have an option, right. but no party right now, no government, no party is actually showing that they're willing to be the party of financial restraint or you know, any kind of holding the levers on the, the finances. It's just let's full gusher into the economy. No, but nobody seems to be willing to make hard decisions. Right. And it's difficult. And I think that's, that's part of the, the, you see the difficulty in being in politics, right? I mean, you, you need these programs for people to say, okay, you know what? Uh, we, we need great example during the pandemic, we needed social assistance to help a lot of people, things like CERB, right. To get them, you know, past that, uh, you know, rough time. 
And so it's like, okay, that's great. And yeah, we need it. Um, But how do you then kind of get out of that without having to spend more money for things like businesses who were hurting, right? Right. More things on uh, tax breaks for businesses, right? There's always some kind of spending that's happening. And right now, because we're kind of in that precarious position where we're uh, not exactly post-pandemic, but we are kind of seeing everything open again, um, it's one of those things where businesses are saying, listen, we just don't have the money we had pre-pandemic to do all of these things. We need help. And governments are sitting there going, okay, well, yeah, we're going to help you out with the hopes eventually that they'll be able to rein it back. There is a, so I I am in full agreement with the idea that something had to happen during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. That was a, a, not even a generational thing. That was a once in a, you know, multiple lifetime situations. But when that got past the crisis point, and this is kind of the issue I think that's being pointed out, what are you doing to now undo what you did? You had to do that. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Where where nobody's, nobody's taking a shot at a government for what it did then. We can take issue with whether it was exactly right or what, but you had to do something. But once that's done, we don't need to keep the geysers flowing. Yeah, and because can, we understand what the consequence of that sure. is. Sure, and you can certainly argue the point that the the federal government kept serve going way too long. You can argue the point that the the provincial government is spending too much money uh, to try to to turn this thing around. But when you look at government, whether it's big or small government. It's very difficult to turn it. It's like the Titanic. You can't exactly turn it on a dime. So it's it's not, is it something that we can try to fix? Absolutely. When we're in the moment, it, it's like the argument about healthcare. Is it working? No, it doesn't work for many people right now. But can we change it automatically right now? Absolutely not. It's going to take a little while to do. And I think that's the same kind of situation we're seeing uh, that Avery Shenfield was talking about. You know, we need to to rein in the spending. Yes, absolutely. Every government will agree with you on that. Every leader would agree with you on that. Doing it, though, is something that's very difficult to do. Yes, because, and I think you alluded to this, because... Nobody likes the idea, if you're in politics, of making anyone unhappy. And as soon as you've created a new program, somehow nobody can possibly live without that program now existing any longer. We, yep. I mean, we may have, our country, our province, our city may have gone for hundreds of years without it. But the minute you introduce a new program, people will die, we're told, if you take that program away. You cannot. It's, it's Once you've introduced it, there is no way away from it. Well, it seems. Yeah, and it you're seems. right. You're right. But I mean, the thing is, too, is that look at some of the programs that you that you could be alluding to, right? Like welfare, ODSP. Without those, though, you had people that didn't have any money whatsoever and had no access to money. So, you know, like, yes, these programs cost billions of dollars to, to uphold. You've got uh, people asking for more money for ODSP because they're making literal peanuts, uh, you know, it, to, to try to get, you know, around. And yes, you have to spend that money. But without those spending programs and without those billions of dollars, you would have a lot more people in a lot worse situations than they're currently don't, in. Don't disagree with what you just said. However, I don't think we could possibly say, so we need those programs, you're right, but I don't think and we can possibly say that there is no program in government that could be cut back. Right. 
I mean, the yeah. essential ones to keep money in people's pocket to get them through so they have food on their table, 100%. But you can't tell me that every single program that is run by every single level of government is absolutely essential in exactly the form that it is right now, that it's all the same and the same level of importance as welfare or whatever else. And whatever You can find savings if you want. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we look at, I think uh, a conversation that we haven't had in a long time is big government versus small government, right? Uh, we used to talk about the 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 smaller the government, the the leaner, the the uh, the the better the engine moved, right? The the fact that you didn't have as many people, there weren't as many uh, salaries being shelled out, and now we've got you know like, and that was a conservative thought. That was that was the idea of conservative government was small government is best for the people. And now you have a conservative government in Queen's Park who has a bigger cabinet than what the liberals yep. had. Right. I mean, it's it's one of those things where big government seems to be the thing right now. and We don't talk about it nearly as often as we used to. Well, and, and you know what? I don't know that in Canada there's an appetite for tiny government, mm. but is there not such a thing as big government or not quite as big government? Right. I mean, surely, surely we don't have to have the discussion only to be, we have to have government do everything for us or nothing for us. Surely well, I mean, there's room in the middle. Absolutely. And how many, you know, if you just look at it from a from a, a, ministry, a ministerial perspective, how many times have you looked at a federal cabinet post and say, do we really need that? You know, do we, we look at the, the provincial level, we've got a healthcare minister and a long-term care minister. Do we need both, right? There's a lot of things, I think, uh, that you would be able to kind of pare down, but does that mean that long-term care kind of gets uh, the shaft uh, to, you know, like what they would normally get? Um, you know, that's another question too. So who yeah. knows? It's, it's. Uh, I don't think we're going to uh, get governments to stop spending because no. uh, that's how you win votes. But um, you wonder when, when you've got people, top economic people saying, hey, just pull back. You're, you're causing more inflation here to try and solve inflation. I wish that somebody would listen, but we will see. <laughs> Dave, this is, um, if, let me ask you, let me throw the numbers out here. This is from Three Down Nation. They, they wrote this piece. Um, the first week of NFL action, which was last week, first week, TV numbers in Canada for NFL games more than double what the CFL was drawing. And I think wow. if you are a CFL fan or anyone who's involved with the league, that has to be unbelievably concerning within Canada. Yeah. I mean, yes, the NFL has better marketing. Yes, the NFL has better players. Yes, the NFL has better teams. What What? What was the question? Yeah, yeah <laughs> but it's, yeah, it, it just, but the CFL has the Canadian fandom, it has its own game, and it's generally, especially on TSN, since they've doing Friday Night Football for decades now, it's it's held its own for the most part. Yep. It still has drawn big numbers. Now, if you're getting double, now we'll see what week two brings, but if you're getting double the numbers for the NFL, um, again, that has to say, I don't know how else you can interpret this, except that more and more people are finding more interest in that game. Yeah. 
And I think that there's a lot to that, right? Like, I mean, the the high school game is not necessarily um, you know, the CFL rules anymore, right? Like, yes, it's a CFL field, but oftentimes it's four downs. Oftentimes uh, you're seeing more NFL-type offenses, right? Like, I mean, there's it's not necessarily about the CFL game. The CFL... Um, for all of its positives, and I think there are plenty. I, I think that you, you you watch the game; it's a better passing league. Uh, you have fantastic um, uh, personalities um, within the league. They don't do themselves a great service when it comes to really exciting games. You'll have games where you've got you know the number one team in the league against the worst team in the league. And there's a huge difference, you know what I mean? Whereas you can watch an NFL game and see a, a, a pretty good matchup between two horrible teams um, just because of the way that, that the game is promoted and played and, and, and seeing all the fans in the stands too is a big deal. Mm, and I'm going to take issue with something you just said, uh, which is a, a few years ago, I would have agreed with you when, I, when you said the CFL is a better passing league. A few years ago, I would have agreed. Now, that's where the CFL, to me, has lost its traction. Because Mm. there was a time, it was by far the more exciting game. Unquestionably, you may not have had the stars that the NFL had. You may not have had the hype. But the CFL was unquestionably the more exciting style of football. And I don't think you can make that argument anymore. The NFL has bigger scores and more offense. And it's now not just run the ball three times and then hoof it away. It's tons of passing. I don't know how the CFL all of a sudden now that the NFL has kind of stolen its thunder, I don't know how it regains that traction. Right. And we had a a few years ago, I mean, you, you talked about a lot of like really mobile quarterbacks in the CFL and that was a huge deal. And that's really kind of, I don't know if it's because of the, the talent that's going through the CFL right now, or if it's the talent that's in the NFL that you're not seeing as many mobile quarterbacks in the CFL. You're almost seeing old-school NFL-style quarterbacks where they're very much standing in the pocket and and trying Uh to find it, whereas the NFL, they've got the more exciting uh, quarterbacks. I was watching the game last night between the Chargers and Pat Mahomes and (laughs) the Kansas City Chiefs, Um, and it was one of those things where both Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes could run the ball and did it very well and still, you know, came up with 300 yards passing. I think that they do a very good job that way. I think that the CFL still has the potential to be the better passing league because of the way that the three downs works. Um, but I think that right now you're getting you're getting far superior talent in the NFL. 100%. 100%. And there was a time... And, you know, someone may want to take issue with me on this one. This is more anecdotal, but there was a time when in a CFL, a really good passing game, you would say a quarterback had a great game when he had 400 yards. Yeah. yeah. Like how and many? now you've had an exceptional game if you have 300 yards. Yeah. I mean, how many and times did you see somebody throw 500 in the CFL? It happened. Often. Dunnigan yeah. had what, 760 something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like it, that, if that was ever going to happen again now, though, it would be, I believe it would be in the NFL. It'll be someone like Josh Allen or, or you know, someone from wherever. Yeah. And they just have one of those games where they hit five long bombs and a bunch of other things. Like it, it, it just doesn't seem likely in the CFL. And these numbers, the other thing that's a problem here, 
and I don't want to be dumping on the CFL. I'm just looking at these TV numbers and saying this is this looks disturbing. Do, do you have kids? Yep. How old are your kids? Uh, they're 19 and 16. Okay, so I don't know if they're fans of football or whatever, but let's say they were or their friends were. Mm-hmm. What are the what's the likelihood if they had a couple of hundred bucks and were going to go buy a football shirt? or even a hundred bucks or a t-shirt. What's the likelihood that the t-shirt or the jersey they buy is CFL? And what's the likelihood that it's an NFL one? Yeah, there's no no chance they'll buy a CFL jersey. Not that they wouldn't want to support the the uh, Hamilton Tie Cats, um, but it, it's one of those things that, you know, who, who, who do I buy? What, what jersey do I buy? I don't know any of the players. Right. It, whereas the NFL, they market their players and they market their their um, their their jerseys very very well. And you know that if you buy, for example, Patrick Mahomes jersey or a Josh Allen jersey or pick your person who's a star, almost certainly that player is going to be with that team in that jersey for a long time, yes. so you can afford to do that. Yep. As opposed to buy, there are players in the CFL. You know, Simone Lawrence, for example, who's been with the same team with the Ticats for a long time, but it's less sure. For sure, it's less sure. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I I hope that somehow I really do. Like this sounds like we're dumping on the CFL. That's the opposite of what this is. I am, I I dream of the day that the CFL can gain traction again because I'm not of the belief, Dave. And I hear this all the time. Are you a CFL fan or NFL fan? I'm not of the opinion you have to be one or the right. other. You can right. love both. They're two different games. Love, yes, I can love lobster and I can love steak. I yes. don't have to pick one or the other and say, oh, the other one sucks which seems to be what people do. I want both to be amazing. Absolutely. And I think that the the CFL game, they need to find what makes them uh, attractive to fans. I think that they need to find what makes their game exciting and, and really kind of pr- like do whatever that is, right? I mean, it's it's one thing to say, you know, back in the day where you had Anthony Calvillo and Tracy Ham and Matt Dunnigan and Damon Allen who were just gunslingers, Warren yeah, Moon, sure. right? Like all these guys who could just throw for, you know, 500 yards at will. Uh, but it's it's another thing altogether to say, okay, well, we don't have that anymore. What are we going to do? It is uh, it is a challenge. I'm hoping I'm hoping that uh, that someone can figure it out because I I just I I hate seeing numbers that are so skewed because it just suggests that well not good things. Let's put it that way. Uh, although I I don't know the Thai cats are making us uh, feel good things about the CFL right now, but that'll come around well, eventually. Eventually. Um, Dave, there's a great piece. Uh, well, okay, let me back up for a sec. We know that through COVID and everything else, those in the service industry really had a hard time. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so tipping has become a, 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 a point of real consternation now because people want to help out. Yeah. And as a result, after COVID, a lot of people gave more than the traditional 15%. But now there's a question about, well, is that the new norm? And am I supposed to give... 20%, 25%. Am I supposed to give a tip if I am simply walking in to pick up an order that I made over the phone that they've not actually done anything, at least a front desk person hasn't? Like, where is 
where am I supposed to tip and how much am I supposed to tip right now? Is this as confusing for you as it is for a lot of people? I, I think tipping always kind of changes, right? Like I'm I'm old enough to remember a time when 10 to 15% was a good tip, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that always changes and it depends on uh, all kinds of situations. You want to talk about cost of living. You want to talk about the fact that uh, you know, servers don't get paid what they should, all those kinds of things. That's an argument in and of itself. I think tipping is one of those things that becomes an issue when you're you're going to, say, a fast food place and they have a tipping Tip jar, suggestion. Right. And I, I that happened to me today. I went to go for lunch and they when they finished getting my my lunch together they said would you like a plastic bag for that I said sure they said it's 20 cents in addition and I thought well I don't really need it so don't don't worry about it I don't need it and then I go to pay for it on with debit and it says give a tip and I thought this is right. fast food like I don't and don't get me wrong I do believe that fast food People uh, work for their money. Both my kids, they've worked for, well, my one kid worked for fast food. He still works uh, for in the restaurant industry. Uh, and I get they work really hard. Pay them money. Companies. They shouldn't have to deal with with tips, right? Like to me, it's it's if you pay your, your employees uh, and, and this always gets thrown around as a negative. But if you pay your employees a living wage, you don't have to worry about increasing tips. But what do you think people want? I mean, Mm. a lot of this comes to the customer. And so do you think customers want the increased, the tip basically built into the cost? Or do you think they would rather give the tip? I think that if you explain the situation to the customer, right? Like if I go to certain restaurants in the city, uh, they don't like having, you know, they don't they don't accept tips, right? They say, nope, don't worry about it. Uh, we pay our, our, our people a living wage and I, th- I feel good about that. Now, if I, it's not explained to me and they say, don't tip our people, then I'm like, okay, why? why? What, what's the deal? And the thing is, is that if I'm paying, say, I don't know, $20 for a meal uh, at one place and paying, you know, $15 for that same meal somewhere else. I know who's paying their their people a living wage. And I'd rather go to that place that, that makes me pay 20 bucks for it. Yeah, the, the, you, you hit on the one, though, that I think is causing most people. So I think most people, well, the headline in the Star, by the way, on this, there was a story on the Star about this. Now 15% is rude, it's called, which is, you know, confusing for a lot of people because... I don't think that, quite honestly, I don't think that 15% is a rude tip to give someone. Uh, you may want to give more, but I don't think it's, I don't think you should be yeah. shunned or be looked at with a stink eye if you give 15%. Nonetheless, the bigger thing is what you touched on, which is for a service that is not really a service per se, mm-hmm. and then the thing pops up there, do you want to give a tip? Right. That that is by far to me the way more tricky thing because I'll tell you I don't know about you, if I hit no, I always feel a like I'm feeling guilty and b like I, I'm looking around to see that they're not watching me. I hope they just rip the <laughs> I hope they just rip the receipt off and don't look while I'm standing there because somehow if it asks you if you should give a tip, you feel like you should give a tip, and yet part of me goes, but you, the person who's standing in front of me, didn't do anything. 
And I don't know about you, but me, I, I tend to look at tips from a from a holistic point of view. Like, how much have I tipped in my lifetime? So, if I tip some, if I tip way over for something, so like say I've tipped thirty percent for something, but I also tip you know ten or fifteen percent for something else, well, it all washes out, even if it's not in the same place. In my mind, it is all washed out, and I'm okay with that. There's one other part about this though that no one talks about anymore, and that is. Originally, the concept of a tip was it was a thank you for excellent Mm -hmm. service. No longer, it seems, is there any factor into this discussion about was the service worth that. And so, again, I think if you, as a standard thing, say, you know what, unless the service is atrocious, I'll give you my 15%. Sure. And then if you do something above and beyond I am willing to maybe throw a little more in there, but that's a bonus for you doing great work. Not just an expectation that because times have changed, I can treat you not very well. I can not really pay attention to you, but expect you're going to fork out more. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, the the 20% is kind of, that's standard for me. Usually between 18 and 20%, that's standard for me. And that's just when I go out. But there are times where I have given less. There are times where I've given more, especially if I'm not paying attention or if I'm doing the post-tip, uh, post-tax um, dollar amount, which is the other thing. But that's that's another thing altogether. But have you ever seen these people who they tip more for bad service? No. They're, they they tip more for bad service, thinking that person needs a little bit of extra motivation. Or they That's must be bizarre. having a really bad day, so I'm going to tip them a little bit extra, and maybe the okay, next so person will help. So that if that person was a teacher and the kid handed in an assignment that was terrible, I'll give him a higher grade because he needs the encouragement, as <laughs> yeah. opposed to the kid who yeah. worked hard at it and doesn't. That that makes I'm sorry. That's that's a bizarre one to me. I'll tell you a funny story. So my dad was one of the most generous people on planet earth. He was one of the great tippers. There was never a tip that he didn't give. In fact, true story. uh, My dad was brought home to when he had had a stroke and was brought home, not in particularly great shape. And he was going to die at home. And the patient transfer people that brought him, he, he was not there still, uh, but he was sort of moving his finger to get my mom's attention to remind them to tip the patient transfer people oh, before geez. they left. Uh, that's the kind of guy he yeah. was. Once, once in his entire life did he not give a tip. And I was there, It was we were in California, we were visiting with my aunt and uncle, and we were at the Queen Mary having dinner, and the service was so horrendously bad that for the only time in his life, he decided, I'm not giving a tip because this is, t- even if you believe in the concept of tips, it should be for some kind of service. Right, right. The, the maitre d' chased him out in the hallway and screamed at him. Wow. And he had to say, I'm sorry, we asked for like 12 times for something to be brought and it wasn't done or whatever. Like it was awful. Yeah. And there has to be, it's a long way of getting to the point. There does have to be, in my mind, some element of decent service to award it. it you don't have to mm-hmm. be white gloves at one of the fanciest restaurants in the world. The only thing, but that if you, 
Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say the only thing that's terrible about about that is that a lot of restaurants they pay their people less than even minimum wage, right? Because they they yes. depend yes. on tips. And but, so when you're when you're taking that away from somebody, you're taking away um, any kind of you know. And I go back to my living. point though. If you even give a modicum of capable service, right. I am more than happy to give you a tip. But I do believe that in our society, even if you are being paid less, the expectation is you will at least do your job. Yeah. I don't think that's unreasonable. Yep. I, I don't think you have to be singing me opera at the table when you carve my chicken, but you have to be at least doing your job and then I'm happy to do it. I don't think that we should expect that if you absolutely wet the bed at what you're doing, that you have to be rewarded then you shouldn't be working in the place in the first place, right? Agreed. Agreed. Uh, so uh, in Australia, you know when the monarch dies, we've had the queen on our money for ages now. So has Australia. So has a lot of other places. They mm-hmm. did an unscientific poll in Australia and found that rather than King Charles, Australians would rather have Steve Irwin on their money now. Of course. <laughs> which, the of crocodile course. hunter, which, of you course. know, why not? Why not? But it got me thinking, wait a second, wasn't it, not that well it actually seems like a long time ago didn't there a couple of years ago weren't we talking about some survey or competition or something for someone to be on our money that we were changing our five dollar bill or twenty dollar bill or something oh that's and right wasn't terry fox supposed to be or yes. one of the people supposed to, what happened to that that's a great just question died. Yeah, I don't know. It could have just been it was it was not in the 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 uh, maybe it was the pandemic, maybe it was the fact that we don't have the money to change it like that. I have no idea. I know we uh, have uh we changed the $10 bill a little while ago, right? Viola Desmond is on the $10 bill. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, so Terry Fox was the favorite. Now, I don't know if I don't know if the Bank of Canada didn't want Terry Fox because there were a lot of other people who were being brought forward who are uh, different suggestions. And for whatever reason, they figured Terry Fox has already got his, but there was such an overwhelming groundswell that they didn't know how to get out of it. I don't know. I don't know. Um, But it just, it never went anywhere. But anyway, that's that, that I saw that thing with, with Steve Irwin today. I went, what happened to our money? What like Terry Fox is the most obvious one in the world. Is he not? Yeah. I mean, it would be, it would be, Yeah. I mean, I don't know who else. Well, I mean, look, I've said this before uh, on the air here, and I, I've never understood why it can't be a thing. Why does it have to be one person? Why could we not have a series of $5 sure. bills with different Canadians? I don't understand why it has to be one. Yeah, I mean, you can get, uh, you used to be able to get uh, the, the, the Coke glasses, right, with different hockey players yeah. on them. So why can't you get $5 bills with different? I, I would imagine it has something to do with, you know, counterfeiting. Right. I mean, it would be difficult to keep on top of all of them. Yeah. But if you had a series of four, let's say, like how hard could it possibly be? Anyway, <laughs> Terry Fox brings me to the fact that this weekend is the Terry Fox yes. run. And it is also uh, something you're participating in this weekend, right? Yeah. So it's uh, strides for the Hamilton Health Sciences Foundation. Um, it's a it's a race that's going on tomorrow down at Bayfront Park. Um, and it's more of a fun run. It's five kilometer walk or a run. 
Um, it used to be called the Strides for the General in years past. This is the 12th uh, year that they've been doing it. Um, and what Strides does is it raises money for the Hamilton General Hospital Foundation, uh, the St. Peter's uh, Hospital Foundation, uh, and, it, and it helps fundraise for priority equipment for those uh, for those foundations. Um, over the years, um, they've raised over one uh, $1 million. It's like $1.4 million. Um, so it's a, it's a great event. It's It starts at 10.15 tomorrow. Um, people can still register if they want. They can also donate. If you go to uh, Hamilton Health Sciences or hamiltonhealth.ca uh, slash strides, uh, you can donate there. Um, you can also find my name and donate uh, in, in in my name if you like, or just, you know, come down. And they've got uh, a bunch of stuff that's going on as well. They've got vendors and, and that kind of thing. So it's going to be a great day and really mm. nice weather. It's supposed to be fantastic weather. And, you know, it's so interesting that uh, there are so many of these now. Yeah. And there have been times when I've thought, uh, you know, there, there's going to be fatigue. There's going to be fatigue with yeah. all these because you've got so many different... And then... It's so, you know, I have a very, very good friend who in the last year and a half or so was diagnosed with ALS mm. and I never would have necessarily, I mean, I, I don't want to be totally sounding like I'm care, I care. I don't care. I do, but it's suddenly the ALS walk becomes much more important. Of course. And you realize, you know what, depending on what your, who you know, who your friends are, who your family are, what you're going through, everything else, like there are a ton of these events but it's none of them are insignificant. No, and the thing is, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, you know, there's a ton of things that you can do, and I'm I'm doing a number of runs, and and most of them, uh, they they are asking for fundraising and donations for you know Hamilton Health Sciences or St. Joseph's or another hospital situation, uh, and it's those are the things that I would like to bring attention to, but there's so much that's out there, uh, and you really mm-hmm. have to kind of find the one that that speaks to you. We are out of time. Uh, Dave Woodard, you can find him running on the weekend then. Uh, listen, really appreciate you sticking around. Really appreciate you doing this fantastic job today. And hey, thank you very much. I appreciate it. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.